Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us, a journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. me or something no that's the poem that's a poem that's a beautiful poem that jr Tolkien wrote you did not read wrote. it in a way that suggested it's a beautiful well that's poem. because it's black speech duh <laughs> hannah it's the speech of the orcs or or mordor it's elven but it's dark <laughs> it's a it's scary it was scary yeah. i will give it that and dark it means the one ring to rule them all one ring to find them one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness, bind them. Huh? I like the golem inflection on the end there. Yeah. That was good. So if people didn't know what episode they were <laughs> listening to, they should by now. Otherwise, they're like, they weren't nerds in all high right, school. All right, guys, we're talking about Isaac Asimov now. <laughs> <laughs> and his well-known uh, I-Orc. Yeah, I-Orc. Uh, we're talking about Tolkien again. Part two, part two, part two. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited for Tolkien. I'm excited for this part of his life because the first part, I'm not going to lie, kind of boring. A little boring. But you love the religious tangents in the first part. Yeah, I added the religious tangents because the rest of it was boring. <laughs> I'm excited about this part because we're going to talk about language and poetry and friendship. Uh, I do like that part. Yeah. And a really good husband who's not a douchebag and cheats on his wife. Interestingly, I don't think we're going to talk about him very much because he was a good husband. There's you, less there's less drama to get into. Oh, right. We're not so, going to talk about yeah. his husband's skills because he was just good he at it. He was just good at it. Yeah. So my uh, my J.R.R. Tolkien husband section is very short. It's like, he was a good one. Yeah. Didn't, didn't cheat. I would have. That would have been my first one. I would have been like, good husband. And you were like, appointed assistant. <laughs> We have completely different ideas of what we want to talk about in this episode. <laughs> I'm just talking about his like life and biography and stuff. And I'm talking about how he gets down with Edith. Ew. Bouncing Tolkien. Nailed it. That should have been our intro. Yeah. Okay. Well, where we left off in the last episode was sort of grim, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. World War One. Everyone's dead, including two of his friends. Yeah. Two of his best friends. Uh, World War One was historically not a great time, uh, and it wasn't for Tolkien either. But yeah, more he, specifically for Tolkien, it wasn't a good time. Well, he got really <laughs> lucky in that he got trench fever, and so he got to leave early. <laughs> he got, I like, wish I could have used that in school. <laughs> I have trench fever. Can I just Teacher, leave class? Teacher, I have trench fever. Can I go to home now? We're going to get no. letters for this. <laughs> trench fever was no joke. 
Uh, but it did <laughs> it did make it possible for Tolkien to start working on uh, at the time what he called the the Book of Lost Tales, mm. beginning with the Fall of Gondolin, uh, and this was kind of his attempt to create a mythology for England. Uh, it w- was not completed in his lifetime, uh, but parts did end up in the Silmarillion. So that's kind of what he was doing while his friends were dying in in the war. Uh, his first child, John Francis Rule Tolkien, was also born. All of his children, including his daughter, have Rule yeah, as a middle name. He just really wanted to keep that in the family. Yeah. Uh, he was born in November 1917 um, while his dad was still in between bouts of recovery and trying to go back and do the war stuff. Mm. Um, but then in July 1919, he was officially taken off active service, which gets us to the next phase of his life basically mm. his academic career yes um nothing happened we're done yep that's, that's it. it he was a professor and then he died and then he died the end yep well actually so his first um job after the war was as an assistant lexicographer on the oxford english dictionary so he you literally 100 did not say that properly where was the british accent where was the british oh, accent the oxford english dictionary yeah, no, Lex, lexico- Lexico, I can't do it now. I can't even say it in an American Lexicographer. accent. Lexicographer. Lexicographer. Oxford British Dictionary. So Tolkien, famously a word nerd, yes. uh, was so word nerdy that he got to write the dictionary. Parts um, of it. Parts of it. So his section was mostly uh, the history and the etymology of words of Germanic origin, beginning with the letter W. w. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but one funny anecdote that I heard... Um, in like a lecture about Tolkien, which maybe, maybe not true, but also sounds very plausible, was that um, when he would get into arguments with people over like definitions of words, he would exclaim, stop, stop. I know what I'm talking about. I wrote the OED. <laughs> so he was, as he should be, he was very proud of contributing yeah, to the man. Oxford English you Dictionary. You can't beat the guy that wrote the dictionary. <laughs> you cannot. So that's a pretty cool like uh, entry level job. Um, but then about two years later, he accepted a post as a professor of English language at the University of Leeds and was actually the youngest professor there. At, um, he was about 28 years old at the time. That's yeah, a big deal. And I guess in the uh, like the British university system, professor is actually like a pretty rare title. It's mm. not like professors over here, which is like literally any college teacher is a right. professor. Yeah. Um, so it was it was a big deal for him to get that position. Um, and I think I saw that it was like kind of specifically created for him, like that job at Leeds. So um, he was off to a very good start. Um, 1925, he returned to Oxford, which, of course, was um, the university that he went to. And he was the professor of English language there and also chair of Anglo-Saxon. So really, uh, really. What does that mean? He said that in my book. What does that mean? The chair of Anglo-Saxon. So like when you're the chair, you're like the head of the department. Anglo oh, just all white people? No, like just, I think. Uh, oh, are you white? Well, then you got to answer to Tolkien. <laughs> no, white languages, duh. Oh, <laughs> it doesn't say Anglo-Saxon language. It just says Anglo-Saxon. Anglo-Saxon. He was the chair of white people. I think yeah. that sounds a lot cooler. It does sound cool. It's also very complicated in today's, you know, culture. We, I don't think that someone would be allowed to be the head of white people. <laughs> Like the chair of white people. <laughs> the chair of white people. Uh, that would be Dolly Parton. She's our Is she our the chair of yes. white people in America? The chair of Anglo-Saxon yes. America? Gotcha. Um, so, yeah. So, being back at Oxford, like, 
as we talked about in the last episode, like he he fits in well with academic culture. Uh, he really loves discussing ideas and all of that. One of the things that was interesting to me is that it, he didn't like actually publish many scholarly articles or do anything like super noteworthy sure. in his academic career. He was good at his job. His students really liked him. Yeah. Um, but that was not like that's not what he's known for. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he was good at his job, but he was also um, a bit polarizing in the way that he did his his work and like as a lecturer and teacher some people didn't like him who okay so who did you find that didn't like him because all the stuff i heard from students was like we loved him he was like super Uh, nice to us i could not tell you the who it is that said this but the reference in the book talked about that i read talked about how there was a student of his who would complain about him because he would like slur his speech or he would like he would write a word on the blackboard and, and because nobody knew what it was, nobody knew this word. So he would write it on the blackboard, but then he would just stand in front of it as he spoke about the word. So nobody could see the word in its entirety. And then he would erase it and move on to the next word. And so this guy's like, he's a terrible teacher. He doesn't know how to lecture at all. And then at the end of this guy's you know, career at Oxford. He was like, actually, he's like one of the best teachers. <laughs> so maybe, so he didn't do that on purpose. It was just him like being awkward. Yeah. Being a, okay. Yeah. I get, I had professors like that who they were like kind of weird at first. And then by the end of the term, like you really like them and all of their quirky stuff is actually very like in, endearing. Yeah. I could see Tolkien being like that. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that I feel like we're going to talk about a lot is, um, his, of course, iconic friendship with C.S. Lewis. Who? who? Yeah, right. We haven't done two episodes on him. <laughs> three, if you count, Planet three, Narnia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because Tolkien and Lewis both started at Oxford the same year. Um, and what was interesting to me was that though they're often compared and like we hear about them as a friend pair a lot, um, at least you and I do, I think, you know, your average reader maybe doesn't know that they were besties, but I always kind of thought that they would have more in common. Yeah. They really didn't. Nope. Um, Plus, going into this, I had thought that they had not a falling out necessarily, but a point where they really weren't friends. mm -hmm. Like, you know, friends drift apart and that sort of thing. But, like, really a point where it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I was friends with Tolkien at one point or I was friends with Lewis at one point. But after reading this, that wasn't the case. Like, they were friends for the rest of their life. There was a cooling off period, as, as a lot of people say where they just kind of focused on their own thing. And, I mean, like, Lewis ended up getting a wife, um, and Tolkien had a family, a full family. So, like... Yeah, that's to be I think expected. that's a natural thing. Like, that's happened with almost all of my friends. Yeah, I think it's more surprising how, like, like how close they were at the beginning of yeah. their friend, how much time they were spending together. But, yeah, I mean, just some of the, like, differences between them um, were down to, like, how they interacted with like words and writing themselves like Lewis was really enchanted by how humans interact with words how words make them feel but Tolkien was all like focused on language linguistic principles like the nitty-gritty precise order of words so he's like way more technical in his writing of course we talked about last time uh he he had already invented several languages by the time he even started um at university yeah uh he continued to invent more languages for the rest of his life uh, had functional grammars, regional dialects, which is like crazy to me. You not even not only invented a language, but you invented dialects for yeah. it too. Uh, alphabets, everything. Um, but yeah, Lewis wasn't as obsessed with that stuff. 
And um, when it came down to like religious stuff, uh, Tolkien had been pretty steadfast in his religion. Yeah. But in Lewis's early works, he had a lot of um, like novels and poems that had either questioning tones or like kind of bitter tones toward religion. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Lewis was was 100 percent an atheist. Yeah. Uh, he he did not believe if he believed in a god, it would probably be more like a Norse god because he liked the Norse mythology. Um, but he was not a practicing Christian for a majority of his early life. And he and he was he didn't uh, associate himself with Christianity um, because he grew up in a in a place where Christianity was just kind of like it was there. Mm-hmm. And he did what he needed to do to survive, but he didn't believe anything. And when things got really hard, he really didn't care about it. Um, so that was that was Lewis's take. And Tolkien he, was the complete opposite. He had seen how much his mother struggled to keep her faith, and it became embedded within him to the point where probably probably my only point of contention with his relationship with Edith, is, Edith, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Edith, was the fact that he would not marry her unless she converted to Catholicism, which... I mean, I'm looking at it with hindsight from 2021, right? <laughs> Nowadays, if I wanted to marry someone who is a Catholic or Protestant or whatever, doesn't matter. But but back then, like it was uh, – we talked about it in the last episode. Your religion, like, showed the world a bit of who you are. It was your identity, right? And it wasn't just like – it wasn't just what you believed. It was who you associated with. It was who you would be around in your, in your culture, in your community. And, um, and so that was a big deal for him to be like, look, I love you and I want to marry you. And I've waited this long for you to to get married, but I'm not going to do it unless you become Catholic. Like that's kind of a dick move, right? (laughs) It would be now, yeah. But knowing how devout he was back then, I'd like, and yeah, I get and, it. And I, and again, I get it. It's my only real point of contention, yeah. and it's not like I'm like, I'm like, this is he's a dick. I hate him because of this. It's just <laughs> more just like said no. Yeah, she could have said no, and I. It's just that's just how I, where I come from with it. Of like, eh, it's not the best move, but I get it. But as you mentioned, like, yeah, your religion is who you are and it's who you associate with, which is also why it was interesting that Lewis and Tolkien ended up being friends because Lewis wrote that his friendship with Tolkien was, quote, the breakdown of two prejudices. He had been taught from childhood to never trust a papist or a Catholic. Yeah. And at his first um, arrival. Real quick, just like because you said it the way you did, a papist is is not a Catholic, right? Or is it? I think it is. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Wait, what did you think it was? The other thing. He said that he shouldn't trust two different two different groups of people. Yes. One, a papist. Two, when he entered the English faculty, he had been warned to never trust a philologist. Tolkien oh, was both. That's that's what I thought. He I, interrupted the quote. I'm sorry. <laughs> so a philologist, if you remember from the last episode, is someone who loves words. Yes. Which Tolkien was both. Was both. So yeah, uh, their their friendship was not primed to be a friendship from the beginning. True. Also, on a personality level, Lewis um, was known for being like a really happy, joyful guy, really like robust, loud, 
uh, laughing all the time. He dressed more like a student than a professor was one of the things that was noted about him. Whereas Tolkien, on the other hand, was almost always dressed impeccably, like coat, tie, everything. Um, And then a student described him as always coming into a room quietly and gracefully. So they're like the polar opposites. Like Lewis is kind of the like chubby, uh, ruddy faced guy. Tolkien's really pale and thin. Yeah. Like they couldn't be more I think this is the one time, because so far in the story of Tolkien, I've been like, this dude is me. Like I am this guy. Uh, Now you're like This is like the opposite for me. I think I'm way more like like Lewis in this situation where I'm a bigger guy who's like, hey, buddy, <laughs> I'm here. Don't forget that I'm here. I'm. Did you forget? I'm here. Wait, did you go a second without thinking about me? Because I'm here. <laughs> That's how I picture C.S. Lewis now. That's, yeah. That- <laughs> Just demanding attention. Just always demanding attention. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Lewis wrote that when they first met, he uh, he found Tolkien to be, quote, a pale, fluent chap. Not too bad, but needs a good smack. smack. Yeah, I remember that quote. That's hilarious. <laughs> Where, I think that's what makes Lewis so great is that he, he is really honest. And he's just, like, even if he's not, even if he's not, like, you know, I really want to smack that guy. Like... He says it he in a nice way. He says it in a nice way. Like he's like, yeah, that dude could use a little smack. <laughs> like it's 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 kind of fun. And I don't know. I like Lewis though. I'm I guess I'm I'm biased. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I didn't uh, name this between <laughs> Tolkien and Lovecraft. True, true. Uh, so yeah, so Lewis writes that about their first meeting. Tolkien doesn't appear to have written anything about when they first met. So apparently, it wasn't very um, moving for him. Mm. But uh, so at the time. Tolkien is still working on his book of Lost Tales. He's also starting up several reading and social clubs like he did when he was a student at yeah. university and in high school, um, including one called The Coal Biters, which was dedicated to reading Icelandic sagas. Uh, Lewis actually joined that one because, like Tolkien, he really liked uh, mythology and he liked those Norse sagas. Um, and getting to study them in the original language, which was something that they did in that club, was a dream come true for yeah. him. Um, so... What really, I think, brought them together was the themes of the stories that they loved. They loved the mythology um, and also, like, the value system portrayed in some of those. Like, the value of courage uh, against darkness was really crucial in bringing them together and, like, giving them something to talk about. Yeah. I mean, imagine imagine you and your best friend, like, what's that that movie or that show or book or or whatever that you guys really love, you know, and you can just talk about it all day, every day. I know with my cousin, Jessica, like she and I can literally quote the entire series of new girl or Brooklyn nine, nine to each other because we love that show so much. Of course that it spread to our whole family and now <laughs> the whole family can do it. Um, but like Rebecca and I, you know, we love Lord of the Rings and, and we've watched the Lord of the Rings over and over and over again. Um, same as like Harry Potter, like you and your best friend have that that story that just it almost defines your relationship because you you realize there's somebody else in this world who likes this as much as you do. And for these two guys, it was Beowulf. Mm-hmm. Like that was their story. They loved it so much. They would dive into it over and over again. And Beowulf was a huge part of actually Tolkien's like academic career, too. That was like yeah. what the subject that he was known for teaching. Yeah. The the. People would review his his lectures and things, and a lot of students would would walk away saying like, 
the way that he he would just straight up just for class he would just read Beowulf. Mm-hmm. And they're like, nobody has ever read Beowulf that way, the way it was supposed to be read. But he did it because he had a way with the words, a way of the timing that that this poem is supposed to be read in that nobody else seems to be able to capture. So that was that was Tolkien's thing. man. Yeah. So, I mean, it made it gave them something huge to connect over. They were Beowulf scene girls. Oh, my gosh. Huh? Just just. How about Bay a wolf. Oh, <laughs> they were Beowulf bays. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that should be a dating that's gonna site. Be the, that's gonna be the next shirt. I gotta make a note. <laughs> I'm gonna make that a shirt. Beowulf bays, and it's Tolkien and Lewis hanging out with Grendel in the background. Yeah. Okay. Don't let me forget to make that shirt. We gotta Perfect. put it up. <laughs> um. Yeah. So this kind of kicked off a what would become a long-standing tradition for them on Mondays. Um. Lewis and Tolkien would get get together, hang out, and talk about school politics, uh, the stories they were reading, stuff like that. Tolkien called it one of the highlights of their week. Like, Mm -hmm. this was huge for them. Um, And a pivotal moment came when Tolkien asked Lewis to read a draft of an epic poem he was working on, which he called um, The Lay of Lathian. Is that... I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. Oh, let me... The Lay of Lathian. Um, It's the the story about Luthien and Baron. I think Um, it's The Lay of Luthien. It's spelled differently. Is it? Oh, yeah. Okay. I I was gonna look at it because I thought it was supposed to be Luthien, but I didn't. Luthien know. is the character. Is the character. Name. So yeah. yeah. So this tale um is in, in his mythology. Baron is a human man, um, and Luthien is an elf, mm-hmm. uh, and. It's kind of based on a a time in their early years when uh, Tolkien and Ed- Edith were in a meadow and Edith was dancing for him. So this scene is like recaptured in yeah. uh, in the story that he writes. Um, with Baron and Luthien's meeting. And for people who, like me, have not read uh, The Lost Tales or The Silmarillion or anything, um, in, like, Lord of the Rings terms, Baron and Luthien are the great-grandparents of Lord Elrond, so the elf Mm -hmm. king, Arwen's dad, and even more generations removed, the ancestors of the kings of Numenor, Gondor, and Aragorn by association. So, yeah, that's who they are in this, like... So you're saying that fucking Aragorn and Eowyn are fucking cousins, dude? (laughs) Yes. Oh, gross. gross. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much everyone important in Lord of the Rings comes from, like, one 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 set of ancestors. It's not a very large world. So just just so so our nerds out there are aware, there are four eras, there are four time periods within the Lord of the Rings... And extended canon universe, uh, Silmarinian. I don't know what other terms to use within the storyline. Um, ages, um, and the first age it was like the the time when you had like a Sauron's master fighting all the other mm-hmm. angel god people. And I'm really sorry, Tolkien fans. I'm I'm I have not read the Silmarinian yet. I plan to. <laughs> so please. Get at me in the comments because we could use more um, <laughs> engagement. <laughs> so if I'm pissing you off, help us out. And if we're pissing you off, also realize that there's some inconsistencies in Tolkien's own world building yeah. because he wrote like some of this so he, much he earlier wrote than the, the mythology, rest of it. and then he would change it when he wrote Lord of the Rings to fit it within yeah. the Lord of the Rings, which is so. totally fair. But yeah. also like 
Put down your sword so if you're going to yell at us out, in the comments. Man. Put down sting. <laughs> yes. Huh? Get it? Because that's a sword. Topical reference. Uh, but yeah. So first stage is like all the all the people fighting and, and stuff and basically the creation of the world and all of that coming to solidification. The second age is when like the elves are there and you got like people doing stuff and, and like the Sauron, you know, like betrays his own people and be- and becomes the servant of Malachar or something like that. And then and he becomes a big black, scary wraith guy. And and then and then uh, and that's when the story of Luthien and Baron happen, I believe. And then the third age is when all the Lord of the Rings stuff happens. And then the fourth age is what happens after Lord of the Rings and after everybody like all the elves go to the, ne- to the undying west. lands to the west. Perfect. So yeah, I just did Tolkien in like thirty you did. seconds. That Come was on, really <laughs> well done. Also, there's like some trolls and stuff. I think yes, troll <laughs> in the dungeon. <laughs> to quote a totally different series. Yeah, what the hell, man? <laughs> I just can't think of trolls without trolls e- hearing that. Trolls. There's so, a troll in the dungeon. Just thought you might want to know. <laughs> Faint. <laughs> So, yes, this this epic poem is sort of a big deal in the Lord of the Rings universe and also because like he put his own basically love story in there too. Yeah. So he bears his soul and shows this to his new friend CS Lewis. Um and Lewis writes him first a note saying that he would have loved the poem even if he'd picked it up not knowing who wrote it. So, mm. high praise. And then he adds a PS, further comments and quibbles will follow. So then, like a couple weeks later, he sends a second letter to Tolkien, and it's 14 pages of edits and even rewritten scenes. Jeez. But Tolkien actually loved it because in this, he realized that he'd found a critique partner who would challenge him and read his work and care about it so closely and understand what he was trying to say and help him get there. And Tyler's pointing very aggressively at me right now. At Hannah. I I know how that feels. I would totally write 14 pages of edits. Yeah. (laughs) But we use gifts instead. We do, yes. So they're a little, you know, more friendly. Yeah. It's like, hey, every this time, fucking sucks, but you can make it better. Here's a new Every time quote. she has two specific characters meeting or talking in her story, instead of saying any comment at all, I just put a gif of a ship going back and forth because I ship these characters. That's it. Once I realized you could, like, you taught me that you could put gifts in the comments, and I yeah. was like, mind blown. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, they're doing the 1900s version of, of that. gifts, 14 pages. <laughs> so, yeah, so shortly after that, then Lewis shows up at one of their Monday meetings with um, some poetry of his own, which is, in a way, the birth of the Inklings. Yeah, kind of. It was already born, though. Well, I mean, I think... Wasn't really. Yeah. I thought timeline. It came afterwards. No. So the Inklings. The Inklings was already a thing. The Inklings was a group of people that would get together that were students and faculty, but not professors and not like not like teachers and such. And they would get together and hang out, and they would they would do the Inkling thing. And then they brought in the professorial the, they brought, aspect. They brought in Lewis and Tolkien, and as students do, the people that had the Inklings they grew up a little bit, and then graduated and moved Mm -hmm. on and effectively handed the Inklings over to Tolkien and Lewis because they had been there that whole time and they loved their like, you know, (laughs) what do you say? uh?" (laughs) And so then they took over and then they and then they had and then they had the Inklings. Okay, And then they invited their own like professor friends. Yeah. To join it, too. So, yeah. So they were uh, meeting once a week uh, at night and 
these guys were so into it that they would sometimes go until like two or three in the morning. Yeah, man. And this was a um, big deal. This was basically a huge critique group because it eventually grew to 19 members. So this is 19 people bringing their work to talk about. Yeah, I don't know. Do you remember we were a part of that writers group? That would be really hard. To and do with there was like people. what, like five of us? Yes. And it was like chaos. Yes. Just the five <laughs> of us. Could you imagine a? 19 people b being in a bar where there are other people <laughs> and c being in a bar where tyler has been drinking yes and these dudes are all drinking nothing so. would get done we talk about one paragraph a night <laughs> maybe that's what they did maybe but yeah so i mean this was from modern pers- perspectives because i feel like nowadays we're kind of like poised to be very polite uh when we're giving critique yeah. Especially in like a group setting, like nobody wants to be an asshole about somebody else's work, which is fine. Like there's something to be said for being nice. Um, these guys were not like that. Mm-mm. They didn't hold back their critiques. Uh, they basically got points for all their intelligent debate, uh, sarcasm, witty remarks that they could make. Um, but the one thing they didn't do were attacks on character. So, yeah. you know, some standards. Um, that is good. And I think that I th- I don't know. Obviously, I'm not from the 1930s, so I don't know what it was like back then but i don't necessarily think <clears throat> that it was about the time a- at that point where like people would be nice or meaner to you in their critiques i think it was this group of people the setting yeah i think it was like like when you and i first started critiquing it was the first time somebody really sat down and went okay look your story's good but you got to fix this stuff like and then you kept getting dude you gotta fix this stuff. <laughs> and it was the first time somebody really sat down and did that with me and i loved it i loved that somebody was being honest and if you had been like tyler this is really bad it's got some potential but you need to just start over i would have taken that to heart and been like yeah finally someone is like really telling me the truth because until then it was just family and friends and they were worried and they had to be nice and i think I don't think that it's a time frame thing. I think it's that finding the right people it's thing. about finding the right people. And they just happen to be the right people at the right time in this pub. And they 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 gave allowances to not be nice mm-hmm. because they all wanted something more out of their writing. One of the quotes that I saw that I really liked, uh, summing up kind of how not nice they were, uh, Tolkien characterized one particular evening as, quote, a most amusing and highly contentious evening on which, had an outsider eavesdropped, he would have thought it was a meeting of fell enemies hurling their insults before drawing their guns. jeez, I did not hear that (laughs) one. So I'm just picturing all these dudes, like, yelling at each other about their writing. Uh, Again, not to skip ahead, but are you going to mention when Tolkien stopped bringing up Lord of the Rings at the Inklings? No, I was, uh, I mean, he did share manuscripts with them, like yeah. parts of The Hobbit um, and each new chapter of The Lord of the Rings, getting feedback from the group. I don't know why he stopped. So, well, it happened towards the end of The Inklings itself, right? So they had been going for a few years. They, uh, The Inklings yeah, as a whole met regularly for 19 years. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much of that was the students before them. But yeah, so. I think it's the, the yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that time frame really was, but when they really stopped, uh, a lot of people attribute it to when one of the people, I, th- I want to attribute it to Williams. Charles he, Williams. Yeah. I, he straight up said, I don't want to listen to the Lord of the Rings stuff anymore. And anytime Tolkien would bring up another chapter of Lord of the Rings, it was when he was writing the, the Return of the King stuff and he'd bring it up and Williams would be like, no, stop. I don't want to listen to this. Veto. Move on. 
And and he would save his veto every single night for when Tolkien wanted to read his Lord of the Rings. Did they have some sort of like beef on the side? Like that seems very targeted. Well, there was there was a little bit of stuff with Williams and Tolkien. They were really good friends, but Lewis and Williams were way better friends. Like, and there was almost a little bit of like that mean girl jealousy bullshit. Like, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I mean, Williams is a, you know, he's a monotheist as well. So I, I can appreciate him, but he's taking Lewis down the wrong path of monotheism. And I don't like that. And like it, while Tolkien was the reason why Lewis probably came to Jesus, Williams, I believe, is the reason why Tolkien be- or Lewis became a Protestant and instead of a Catholic. And I don't think that uh, Tolkien ever let that go. Well, not to throw shade at Charles Williams, but nobody made a, you know, epic film version of any of his works. And I, can't- I was thinking about looking up his books and seeing if it's worth us doing an episode on. I looked him up. I don't recognize a single title so well, maybe he had a good life maybe he, <laughs> maybe had some, he did maybe he's the un uncelebrated like this big deal that we could get the scoop on maybe or maybe he's just like looking down from heaven being like wow that lord of the rings thing that i hated really turned out to be something <laughs> he's just up there just like damn i never liked that book. oregon is so fucking hot <laughs> <laughs> That's what heaven is like, probably. I know when I get to heaven, 100% I'm going to be watching Lord of the Rings with Jesus. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Getting his take on it. Be like, are you like that guy? Yes, Tyler, I'm like that guy. Are you like that guy? Yes, Tyler, I'm like, I am all things to all people, Tyler. Remember? Oh, yeah, that's right. Are you like that guy? No, I'm not like that guy. (laughs) All things, but not that thing. But not Sauron. Come on, dude. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah so did you have anything else on the inklings before we move on to the hobbit um no a lot of this is just intertwined there's just yeah. so much happening all at once you know because with lewis's relationship with tolkien we do start to see lewis become a christian um and we see that lewis is pushing tolkien to write these stories at the same time tolkien is is just telling his kids stories and and but then he's sharing them with the inklings and like it's it's hard to be like like chronological because it's they're they happen at the same time but then before but then but after. They're also like distinct periods of yeah, his life it's yeah it's so hard so, so, yeah, so no the, let's, let's this move is like on. the disclaimer i gave you beforehand that this is less chronological than most of our things yeah uh yeah. but yeah so as I mentioned, like he was sharing parts of the Hobbit with with the Inkling. So yeah, the Hobbit. Um, the origin story for this that I saw was like it kind of came out of the blue. Like he yeah. was literally grading exam papers, which uh, he described as soul destroying, not something he liked. <laughs> um, and this was in 1928, and he turned to a blank page and just wrote down, seemingly out of nowhere, in a hole in the ground, there lived a Hobbit. Yeah. And he said later, uh, names always generate a story in my mind. I thought I'd better find out what hobbits were like. So he just like wrote the sentence down, didn't even know what a hobbit was, and then dives headfirst into concocting a, an origin story for them, basically you, to tell his chil- children. I've never written a name down. Names aren't the thing for me. Sure. Um, which I can see why they would be for him. He's obsessed with language. I've written down random ideas or like random scenes, not a whole race of people. I don't think I don't think he in one sitting did a whole race of no, people. No, but he like came up with the name for them, which I've never but been like, yeah, oh. Yeah, like for me, like in writing, the best stuff that I've ever done has always been I sit down and I just start writing 
and something comes out of it. You know, I, I wrote the Rebecca Moon book because I just needed to start writing. And it wasn't until after I started, I realized what I was doing. And it became my one of my favorite things. Um, I recently just wrote this scene where I'm like, I just wanted to write something so that I could reference it for the bad guy of my story. Mm. And then I wrote it and I'm like, man, I kind of want to make the bad guy the main character now <laughs> because he's so more, so much more interesting of a character. And, uh, and it just became like, it was just because I was like, this is the one aspect about this guy that I want. And so I wrote it and then it led to the next sentence and then another paragraph and then a whole page. And so I I love organic writing where it's just you let it grow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what he was good at. He was good at taking something small, a small seed and just running with it. Well, he just ran with it for more than eight years. Yeah. Uh, Which, you know, I I can respect that. It's not like your average paperback that you pick up. It's like he was inventing a world. But he's doing that while he's using the mythos that he had already been creating. Right. So he had some some bones for it, basically. He had a broth. He had been been boiling a broth, and now he was starting to add some meat. I feel like this is the second, like, cooking illusion you've made on this show. On the show or in this episode? On the show. Well, that's fine. We've been doing the show for (laughs) two and a half years. They always are very vivid, though. Yes, he had the broth of... Of the Hobbit, going. I think my 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 other one was also soup. So. It was yeah, it was like you were making a stock or something, and then yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, music is the broth to the writing process. <laughs> I think is what I was saying, and then and then all the other stuff just kind of marinates in that broth in that music, just marinating hobbits. But this is the <laughs> Hobbit. This is different. The mythology was the broth, and the Hobbit was the meat. Yeah, <laughs> Hobbit meat. Gross. <laughs> So, yeah, he's working on this for quite a while. Um, He's sharing it with, like, his younger children who are, like, in their uh, single-digit ages at this point, basically, um, and also sharing it with the Inklings. Um, Then in 1936, an incomplete copy of the manuscript found its way to um, an employee at the publishing company, George Allen and Unwin. Um, And that woman, Susan Dagnall, um, convinced Tolkien to finish the book because she really loved it. Um, And then she gave it to her boss who tested it out on his 10-year-old son. Yeah, real quick, my book said that she didn't convince him. She pleaded with him. She begged him to finish it. That, I mean, that's pretty good. And so, yeah, so sorry. So, yeah, so the, the publisher tests it out on his 10-year-old son who gives it a rave review. Um, and then they published it the, the next year, um, and it was an immediate hit. Um, Tolkien actually did the illustrations and maps himself for early editions. So sort of drawing on the art skills that his mom taught him as a kid. Yeah. Uh, in our last episode, we talked about how he loved, like, drawing landscapes. His illustrations yeah. are really good. Like, did you see the originals? Yeah, I looked at some of the originals. Like, there are these really like vivid watercolors of different scenes in the book. Um, I mean, you can really see how much he loved nature in it, like the trees yeah. and all of that. Um, so yeah, they're really good. Um, and early editions uh, with his artwork, they cost in the four hundred to one thousand dollar range now. Yeah. So uh, if someone's on eBay and wants to like gift me a copy, I wouldn't say no <laughs> to a Tolkien original. One of the um, things is too. I don't know if you saw the seventy fifth. I think it was seventy fifth anniversary edition of the Hobbit that came out not too long ago. Um, I thought the illustration on the front was really cool, and then when I was looking at his early edition, it's basically like a modernized version of that. So I think that's oh. really cool that they kind of like kept his original artwork like the inspiration behind it there. Hmm. Yeah, the new one is like this kind of like 
very basic line drawing kind of the, of the mountains, but it's basically shaped the same way as the original, which I thought was cool. Um, so yeah, so Hobbit comes out, it's super successful. Um, one of the things that when I was like doing the, the research for this episode, it just occurred to me that like, why is the Hobbit considered a children's book? I mean, it was considered. It was. It was a. It was. And it a still is. Book, like it's still like on is the bestseller. In your opinion, is it not a children's book? The reasons I don't think it is is because like most children's books have young characters in them. This is all adult characters. I mean, you could say like the hobbits are short, so they're like the children, but mm. that's kind of like demeaning for hobbits. Like. I mean, Narnia, children. Percy Jackson, children. Harry Potter, children. Like, Damn, I haven't thought about and that. And also, like, it's really long. It has a lot of elements like poetry that aren't usually appealing to young readers. So the fact that The Hobbit is uh, a children's book kind of was interesting to me. But yeah. yeah, I definitely read it when I was, like, probably 12. What's another children's book that you would put on par with the the, the classic, like, elegance of The Hobbit? The elegance of The Hobbit. I don't know. It's like The Hobbit is so much more complicated than any other children's book that I Do you think maybe read. that's the problem? That it's is complicated? Is that we placate to children and so like <laughs> children's books cannot, because we're so busy, publishers especially are so busy trying to sell as many copies as they can. The The Hobbit, when it got when it got picked up, it was supposed to lose money. When the publisher picked it up, they were like, "We yeah, we've, we've done enough printings of this other book that were essentially like kind of putting the hobbit in with this other book and mm-hmm. it only printed 1800 copies and they were like we're probably going to lose money it's not a big deal like we've already made enough money off this other book that we can just go ahead and do it because this guy's cool and it's a cool story and my son really likes it and my son really <laughs> likes it so we're going to market it to kids and then they do that and then boom 1800 b- copies sold and people are like give us more fucking hobbit <laughs> ah! and so like they didn't realize that it was going to be more and you think that's the problem is that Kids movie, kids movies, kids books are are placated to children, and so they're not as good because people are not willing to take a chance on them. Like, like we're not giving kids enough credit. We're not. Like, get, we don't yeah, think we're they'll not actually read kids something enough good. Credit. We're not giving the stories, the, the complex stories that touch on elements that might feel us make make us feel a little uncomfortable. We're not giving those credit that they could actually change the life of children mm-hmm. at, or, or steer it or, or help them in some way because it's too dark. It's too gritty. It's too dark. You know, it's like, it's bad. And, and it's like, but it's not though. There's nothing bad in the Hobbit. What's, what's bad in the Hobbit. And um, there's violence. Sure, there's violence in real life too. There's violence in the Bible. So what? I wouldn't say the Bible's a kid's story. They have children's editions. Of I the read Bible. it as a child. I went to school for it as did a child. You, did you read the children's edition? Because that's I what did. I had my, when I was a kid. My grandma gave me the children's edition. I own now. I own the action Bible too. <laughs> it's a comic book Bible. It's pretty much the oh greatest boy. thing ever created. But yeah, the children's uh, version is a little bit sanitized. Of the, the Bible? Yeah. Oh no, mine wasn't. Yours wasn't. No, not at all. It, it was it the kept, Bible. It kept just had all the murder in. It just had a bunch of colorful cartoons in it. That's all. <laughs> I feel like mine left out some of the more disturbing stuff. And then when I got really? to church later, I was like, "Wait, this dude like sacrificed his daughter just because he made a promise to God that if that he would like kill the first thing that greeted him when he got home." I'm like, damn, that was left out of my my kids. Was edition. it left out of the kids' edition, or did they just not teach it to you? Oh no, like the the version that like I read as a child. It was just not in there. It had the cuter, like, Noah's Ark stuff. Sure. Okay. 
Yeah, no. When I was like seven or eight years old, I got a straight up like a, a Bible. It had like an oil painting of Jesus on it, and it was a kid's Bible, but it was the Bible. I carried it until I was in like seventh grade, and uh, I mean, it had in that Bible is where I learned about Lot being raped by his daughters and uh, the one dude raping his step his sister or something. Uh, in that Bible, that's where I learned that God wanted, you know, the one dude to kill the first person he saw, or for God to sacrifice his own son because he said so because or the dude's wife so being turned to salt or David murdering people so that he could marry their wives. So then in this case, the Hobbit is very tame. <laughs> it's so tame. It's crazy. <laughs> if you let your kid go to church, you should let him read the Hobbit. Basically. 100%. <laughs> let him read the Hobbit. Let him watch Harry Potter. It is not as bad as the Bible. <laughs> that should be like their, t- their tagline. Not, not as, as bad, bad as, as the Bible. Bible. That's going to be our tagline. Between Lewis and Lovecraft. Not, not as, bad as bad as the Bible. Bible. <laughs> Perfect. And then when people are like, how dare you? How dare you say the Bible's bad? Be like, I'm sorry. I didn't rape my sister. Do you want me to do that? Do you want so that I can star? say I'm in pa- on par with the Old Testament? Now time. that we've offended a lot of Christians. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You know I can't do an episode without offending my favorite group of people <laughs> <laughs> it's a really interesting skill that you have yeah i chose the line guys <laughs> so so yeah so like you mentioned they kind of weren't expecting the hobbit to be the hit that it was um but once it was um uh stanley unwin the the publisher was like yo you got any any stories like this that we can crank out next um so tolkien uh showed him portions of the silmarillion uh, but he thought they they weren't commercially publishable, um, partly because they had too much poetry. Which again, always coming back to poetry. Not, yeah, what's up with the hate on Poe? I don't like poetry. Oh, oh, I'll be honest there. Way to alienate a bunch of people that. Sorry, might to I us. I want to like poetry. I really do. I try. It's like me and Stephen King. Like I really <laughs> want to like poetry, but it's just kind of yeah, dumb. I've I've like. <laughs> I've tried several different like types or styles of poetry. Like I get the books, I cannot get into them. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sorry. I'm sure Tolkien was really good at poetry. Uh, he was disappointed that they didn't want the Silmarillion, um, but he started writing a sequel or effectively a sequel to The Hobbit, um, which would of course become The Lord of the Rings, the darker, uh, less young reader friendly uh, follow up to The Hobbit. Uh, it wouldn't be published though for many many years down the road so again this was like a very long-term uh project that he was embarking on um so yeah i mean like we said this is not like super chronological this time so i wanted to talk about his his family life next because at this point like all four of his children are born uh he has three sons and one daughter uh priscilla tolkien is actually the only one still living she's 91 years old oh go priscilla she can come on our show if she wants yeah that'd be super hey, fun Priscilla, reach out we'd be happy <laughs> to have you on our show but yeah so like we alluded to earlier uh, priscilla what was your dad like sorry I oh i thought you were actually trying to reach her now oh, i'm like yeah. dude she's 91 and right like now. overseas priscilla <laughs> Um, yeah, so you mentioned earlier um, how unproblematic Tolkien's marriage was. Yeah. And this is something that we don't get a lot of on this show, so it's really nice when it happens. Um, by all accounts, he had a long and happy marriage with Edith. Uh, no cheating. No possibly gay relationships with his neighbor, Nathaniel Hawthorne. 
<laughs> um, none of that. Right? He was just a devoted husband and, and father. Um, and yeah, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, I think, was that he like would illustrate things for his kids and share those with the Inklings and like write little stories for them. Yeah. Um, he, he wrote yearly illustrated letters to his kids like they were from Santa Claus. Yes. Um, and some of those would end up being published after his death, death as the Father Christmas letters. So, yeah, he's just like. Which I think we might need to cover. The Father on a Christmas. Episode. Oh, that'd be good for next year. Yeah. Yeah. Next, like Christmas 2021 or uh, Christmas 2022. Ah, shit. We already have Christmas 2021 planned, don't we? Don't we? Well, yeah, we, we did do. something, right? We can offline about this. Yeah. But yeah, so. No, let's talk about it on our <laughs> show right now. Oh, and then his other. Um, Christopher is probably the the Tolkien that we hear the most about just because like he was really responsible for publishing a lot of his father's work posthumously. He was also in the Inklings. Oh, he did it? He yeah, joined he, the Inklings? He joined the Inklings. Oh, so it must have been 19 years after um, Tolkien joined then because he would have been a little baby when they yeah. started that. He would go at least. I don't know. I don't know into what effect, but they talked about him being there. Oh. Okay. And, and being a part of the part of the group. Yeah. Christopher ended up, uh, he grew up to be an editor. Um, so yeah, yeah he really he followed his, his father's at least academic and like love of literature. Sure. Um, and then one of the other sons, like, oh God, the firstborn son, John, he became a priest, right? Yep. And then God knows what Michael did. I think he was a poet or something. I have no idea. <laughs> so yeah. Everyone so, forgets about Michael. So, sorry, Michael. He's dead. He doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. He's moved on. <laughs> He's too busy watching Lord of the Rings up in heaven. <laughs> and bitching about it probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dad, is this what you meant when you said, no, son, it's not. Christopher didn't like it. I saw something from him that was like, he said it was basically an action-packed movie geared toward 15-year-olds or something. That's probably why I loved it. <laughs> I know. I liked sorry, it. Sorry, Chris. I can't, I can't help the fact that I love the fucking Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> but he was like probably in his 90s by the time it came out. Yeah. So Plus, he, yeah, he knew his dad and, and that's so hard. It's so hard to be like, oh, what do you think of this? And it's like, that's not what my dad. And it's like, yeah, no, we know. <laughs> Especially if he grew up hearing stories yeah. about like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Like, yeah, I get that. But also like, just just shut up. <laughs> it's it's my favorite <laughs> movie ever. Shut up, Chris. Don't, don't dunk on my favorite movie trilogy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, around the forties, uh, I think. Yeah, World War Two happened. So Tolkien yeah, lives. I'm pretty through, sure that's around the four. It's like he, the late 30s. the late thirties. Yeah, Tolkien lives through not just World War One, but yeah. also World War Two. Yeah, uh, he almost like got, uh, what's the word like, not conscripted? Drafted. Conscripted. Yeah. Yeah, to be a code breaker, which would have been super, yeah. super tight, right up his alley. Uh, in thirty nine, he was asked to serve in the cryptographic department of the foreign office in case there was a national emergency. Here, here's something I was thinking about. He almost ended up on the same project where they broke the code, the Nazi code, in with, the imitation game. Yeah, with the, with Turing, right? Mm-hmm. Could you imagine? If Tolkien had been introduced to technology sooner, like working with Turing and computers and such, how he would have maybe written his fantasy differently if he had had more influence from technology. Like you think it would have been more sci-fi? I just wonder sometimes. Yeah. Because there is an underlying there is an underlying um the fantasy that he did write deals with machine which is surprising when I read it, but then I realized how true it was. Mm-hmm. It it deals with technology and the advancement of certain technologies. Yeah, the technology industrial. being 
magic and the ring and the one ring and and then yeah uh, amplifying creating monsters and 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 burning down forests to industrialize war which is exactly what he saw in World War 2 and and what he saw really in World War 1 mm-hmm. right he there was the first time he was there when tanks were seen for the first time ever one of his friends wrote uh this whole thing about seeing a tank slither along the 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 hill like a centipede and it was janky and stuff but it was like this this dragon of death sort of thing mm-hmm. and so like that influenced him obviously where it's like yeah what would technology really look like in this fantasy world but man i would i have to think like because he's around people writing sci-fi lewis is writing sci-fi mm-hmm. what would it have been like if he was like around these geniuses who are building the first computers it's just it's just a thought that went through my head when I got to this point in his story. If he had been put on to the code breaking program. That would have been really cool. I, I, agree. I feel like we need a Doctor Who episode or something about this mm, like it's an alternate that would be history. So cool. Doctor <laughs> Who and J.R.R. J. Tolkien. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean basically as we've we've said uh he didn't actually end up serving in this department. Um, so instead, he he moved on uh, in in 1945. He moved to Merton College at Oxford, uh, becoming a professor of English language and literature. And that's a post that he remained in until his retirement in 1959. So he was set comfortably for the rest of his academic career at Oxford. Um, and then in 1948, Tolkien completed The Lord of the Rings close to a decade after he first started outlining it. So only a yeah, decade, huh? only a decade. Lucky guy. Well, I mean, he he spent a lot longer on the uh, the 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 broth right. of, of the universe. Yes. The, <laughs> so, the yes. Tolkien broth. The Tolkien ew, gross. <laughs> you don't want to soak in the Tolkien broth, ew. Hannah. I definitely don't want to eat Come after recording in, this episode. <laughs> so, Lord of the Rings was <laughs> it apparently went through a very long like editing process too, because it was originally published in three parts between 1954, so like six years later, and 1955. Um, Stanley Unwin, the the publisher's son, now an adult, was instrumental in pushing Tolkien to finish it. Kind of like uh, Susan Dagnall, yeah, begging him to finish The Hobbit. Um, the the son who had who had read The Hobbit when he was just a kid was now an adult and was like, I want the next one. Damn it! Yeah, <laughs> write it for me. Uh, yeah. Do you think he was just like a spoiled rich kid? Or do you yeah, <laughs> give it to me. I want the Lord of the Rings. He's like uh, the kids in the <clears throat> Devil Wear Pro- Wears Prada who like need the unreleased Harry Potter book and somehow yeah. get it delivered to them. <sighs> um, so publishers again underestimated the appeal uh, for Lord of the Rings too, and didn't really play up the release. Um, the books did get mixed reviews when it first came out. Uh, the BBC adapted it into like a twelve episode radio play. Um, but then in the 1960s, a pirated paperback version was released and made it overseas to the United States yeah. um, and caught American readers' attention. And one of the things that kind of um, made it more more like talked about was the publicity generated by the copyright dispute. It was like free advertising, basically, even though it was a pirated book, which is bad. Don't pirate books. Uh, but then like all these Americans were like, dang, I got to see what this Lord of the Rings is all about. Yeah. Um, yeah, because so, leave it to Americans to not care about something until it's illegal. <laughs> right. I'm sure it was different back then, too. Like, you don't get books released in America at the same time. As, no. And as, and there was a whole campaign where they were like, hey, don't buy it from this company who has done it unofficially. 
we've gone ahead and created the official, which will actually pay the author because the unofficial wasn't paying the author, mm-hmm. wasn't paying Tolkien. So people were like, oh, yeah, fuck that. I'm going to pay the author. Pay the author. Yeah. Standards. Um, so, yeah. So Lord of the Ring gets kind of like a cult following in the United States, uh, which kind of coincided with the new popularity of fantasy literature as a whole. So this was yeah. kind of when that genre was becoming more mainstream or at least like there yeah. was a lot being published in it. Um, and Tolkien subsequently became like a fairly rich man. He was getting a lot of money off of this. But he also had mixed feelings about it because I get, I had not heard of this before. There uh-huh. was also a trend back then of people whose like great idea of, of a drug trip was to take LSD and l- read Lord of the Rings. I mean, hey. That seems I'm not like going to say you're wrong. Trying to read while high just seems really difficult. I have no idea. I've never done LSD, so I have no idea what it's like to read on LSD. Maybe I'll do that for my next people, episode of people Correspondence. Do, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> um, people do like microdosing and stuff, and that helps them read more. So helps maybe, maybe it does help. I'm guessing these people were not microdosing. I'm going to go ahead and say no on no. that one. It, it was the 60s, uh, so yeah, they were at having one a good point, time. At one point, Tolkien even had his uh, phone number... Uh, published in a magazine in America um, because some dummy was writing about Lewis and just happened to publish Tolkien's number. Like, what kind (laughs) of dummy head journalist does that? Uh, Probably the one that does LSD and reads books. But he publishes (laughs) the number, and Americans are stupid, and they don't understand that there's a time difference. So they're calling him up at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning to be like, oh, my God, I love you. Your books are so amazing. What happens to Frodo? Yeah, and he's like, fucking leave me alone, What dude. baffles me, like, I don't understand this story because wouldn't that have been astronomically expensive to call England from America? I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. That's got to be, yeah. So so that's part of why it was bittersweet. Like, fans started coming by Tolkien's yeah. house. Uh, they this, would call him. This led to a huge change in his lifestyle. In his lifestyle because, I mean, that's really fucking annoying. So yeah. eventually he and Edith moved to Bournemouth, which is basically a quiet resort town on England's south coast, comprised mostly of old people. Mm-hmm. So uh, they they, they moved the to city the Florida life. of England. Oh, yeah. Yes. The Palm Springs <laughs> of, of England. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so they move. Um, and then personal life wise, I don't really have a whole lot after that move uh 1971 is when edith the love of his life dies at the age of 82 mm-hmm. um and at this point tolkien returns to oxford because like that's home for him yeah uh, he he likes being back in the city he's heartbroken of course because the love of his life is dead yeah um, but he's back in like the environment that he loved i'm much. back baby he's literally living in rooms provided by merton college so yeah <laughs> he's he's in his space um and yeah, and then in on September second, nineteen seventy three, Tolkien follows his wife uh, in, in death at the age of eighty one, uh, from kind of a nasty cause. He had a bleeding ulcer and a chest infection, so mm. not the greatest way to go out, Tolkien. Yeah. So going back just a little bit, um, you had you had talked about the poem that he had written, the Luthien mm-hmm. and and Bar Baron Baron Baron. Um, poem and this this story was legitimately um taken from his relationship with edith and and the feelings and the problems that they had to go through this story was a story of a human a human male who wanted to be with an elven 
female and she would have to give up her own immortality to be with him um it was it was a sad tragic story that had an uplifting love you know in it and um and they identified with these characters so much that they would call each other luthien and um baron baron whatever i i won't remember i can't remember um and it was it was like it was a part of their relationship it was more than nicknames like it was an identity that they saw each other as and it was so profound that when they died and they were buried next to each other single grave oh was it single yeah. grave oh i thought it was next to each other nope. damn they together forever, forever. <laughs> do you think that they they fight now and they're like can you just get off of me please they're like this is a huge mistake <laughs> i just need some space um yeah, single grave. Damn. And on their gravestone, it has their their real names, their given names, you know, uh John Rudolph Weasley <laughs> Ralph Lauren Tolkien. <laughs> Ralph Lauren Tolkien. <laughs> Love it. And then it has his 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 nickname. Baron. Baron. And then it has Edith's name and then Luthien. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that. I love it so much. I love that these people loved each other and they, they went their whole life. They went 80 years, 80 plus years loving each other and they didn't fuck other people. They didn't tempt with other people. It was never like, a, oh, well, he could have. Uh. No, no, no. Even in the three years where he was not allowed to see her, he was like, I don't fucking care about anybody else. Yep. And she's all like, well, he obviously doesn't care about me, so I'm going to just get married to some other guy, but I'm going to hold off. I'm going to hold off. Just in case. Just in case. And then the second I see him at a train station, I'm going to dump the other guy yeah. I was going to make. And then the second he's all like, hey, what's up, baby? She's going to be all like, ah. And then she dumps <laughs> the other dude. And then they go and get fucking married immediately. And Francis, the, the, the father guy, is all like, <laughs> that's cool. I'm cool with it now. Not only am I cool with it, but I'm going to marry you two because I love you guys that much. And then they're like, nah, bro, that would take too long to come all the way out there. So we're just going to get married here. <laughs> love you. No, we want this now because you know what? They waited. They waited. Crazy. Ah, Tyler's making a point. <laughs> Crazy that they didn't get married after a month after meeting each other. Which author are we talking about now? All of them. <laughs> I was thinking of Frank Herbert specifically. Frank Herbert. Ernest Hemingway. Well, Lovecraft didn't really do it, but he's still a douchebag. Ernest or uh, Lovecraft tried to get with like a sixteen-year-old, didn't he? So Lovecraft, he was getting with a fourteen-year-old little boy. Yeah, he went to that boy's house in Florida. We don't know that they actually had sex, but they definitely had sex. <laughs> you say that in every episode. <laughs> but Tolkien and Mrs. Tolkien, they waited. And then they and they knew that they loved each other, and then they got married, and then they spent the rest of their lives happily. They weren't happy like, oh, everything's great now, and like that weird couple that you talk to, and they're like always smiling, and they're probably part of an MLM, and it's kind of weird. <laughs> but like, but like actually happy to be with each other and she would follow him around wherever he went because being 
a professor did not mean that you had a home and you would go to work and then you just go home at night. No, it meant you lived on mm-hmm. campus and she would get homes that were either close enough to campus that he could just kind of go there at night and then he would go home or they would find ways to f- to get homes on campus that she and the kids could live on. It was a hard life. It was not something that you just it's not like today where you're just like this life you have a work life and a personal life and they're separate and you just kind of go home at the end of the day. He was a professor. That was, that was not his job. That was his life. Mm-hmm. But he was also a husband and he took that seriously and he, and he made time for Edith and he wanted to be around her. I mean, there was also a lot of stuff that they had to deal with. Like they, they ended up having separate bedrooms because he would get home so late from hanging out with the boys yeah, I would not be cool with that uh, two and three in the morning thing, BTW. But that was their relationship. Edith was fine with it. Edith's yeah. way chiller than me. So it's like, I just, uh, it's the first time we've met someone in this show that was a genuinely good husband throughout the entirety of his life. Even Lewis didn't do that good of a job throughout the entirety of his life. He was kind of weird. Yeah, he kept his uh, marriage a secret from his bestie Tolkien. Yeah. And he might have been doing his best friend's mom. That part was weird, too. Kind of (laughs) weird. I mean, no kink shaming, but kind of (laughs) weird. And he might have been doing it because she reminded him of his mother. Uh. (laughs) I know, it's weird. Yeah, so Lewis is probably our second least uh, relationship problematic dude. So, so yeah, so there, there's all that. I, I, I genuinely enjoy just, just reading a story about someone who was a great author and a great man and, and someone that I can look up to as a, as a good role model for being an author who has a relationship, right? Like, it's just, it's so refreshing to find someone like that because we read so many stories of people who aren't. And even Frank Herbert, who's like, he was... He was a good husband. He was a good... He wasn't a great dad. He was like, not he was a great dad. hard with his kids. It was hard for him to... And, and even Gary Gygax, like, I love that guy, but he was fucked up. He was a bad husband. Yeah. I don't think he... Did he cheat on his wife? Yeah, toward the end there. Well, I mean, that's what ended it, I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I, I don't. And so then, yeah. and then the Lord of the Rings movies and books are so good. <laughs> There's a lot to love about Tolkien. Honestly, I think that we could have done three parts of Tolkien. There's so much more that that's worth talking about with him and what he did with his studies and and what he went into as well as just the lifestyle that he lived and, and, and his relationships with his friends and the inklings and the people he loved and lost. And there's so much to it. And, and it's worth further discussion. Um, and I think that as we get into other authors later who are associated with the same time, time era, era, time era, and um, area, um, and even other inklings themselves, I think we're going to see Tolkien rear his awesome head. <laughs> you thought I was going to say nasty. It's not nasty. He's awesome. He is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, if either of us are ever brave enough to read the Silmarillion, um, then maybe we can do a follow up. I would love the Silmarillion. What's that look? <laughs> Just saying, if someone wanted to get me a copy of Silmarillion... <laughs> Makes, <laughs> makes note for Christmas episode 2021. <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, I would really. I'm. I'm hoping to get the the whole Tolkien collection, like a cool 
collection. I oh, know that like a, a cool box set or there, something yeah. where they all look very pretty together. Yeah, there was one that was like a, it was all four, it was Hobbit and three Lord of the Rings. It was all like hard Ooh. book, hard bound. And then like, there was like, it was like, it was wider and, and taller than most books. And it was because there was art in them. And so I really wanted to try and find those again somewhere. It was like, it was like a hundred bucks for the whole set. So, yeah. um, hard, I don't know. Hardcover illustrated, not cheap. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are your what are your final thoughts on Tolkien? Uh, God, I, I hate when you like give a very good like thoughtful. I didn't. I didn't give anything. I went on a rant. You went on a rant about their amazing marriage and love story. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's very sweet. I had good father. Good father. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done, sir. Yeah. Uh, I I like Tolkien a lot. Like most of our authors, I like him a lot more now that I know more about him. Um. I will say I am more of a fan of the Lewis style of writing. Kind of just getting in and... Yeah, telling the story. Uh, I, I appreciate the world building. I don't think Lord of the Rings would do, be what it was without, you know, Tolkien actually making up fucking languages. Sure. And, like, runes and... Well, the story and, came yeah. from the language, and that's what I love about yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know if we mentioned that already, but that's, like, the big thing is that he did not write Lord of the Rings and invent a language for it. He invented a language and, and he needed a story to tell, so he wrote The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So I he is very impressive from that standpoint. I am of the firm belief that his books could have been a lot shorter. Mm. Um, that's just my personal preference. But yeah, I mean, he he influenced so many other authors and so many other things, like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, yeah. There's, there's Tolkien all over uh, the characters and the races in there. So his impact on fantasy and literature in general how do you feel about his relationship with women and it particularly in his writing because this has been coming up a lot lately at least from what i've seen a lot of people are starting to really poke holes in the you know Tolkien didn't represent women well how do you feel about that i have never had a problem with his representation of women um i mean as a kid watching lord of the rings for the first time like i thought yeah obviously he doesn't have a lot of female characters in there but that's also like not surprising because it's a story about like a lot of wars it's dudes going off to try to destroy an evil ring like yeah realistically uh if you're going off who participates in wars and stuff like that it's not going to be a lot of women from the get-go um but characters like arwen and eowyn in particular like I had a huge girl crush on Eowyn in the movies because I'm like, ah, oh, she's a badass. She was less of a badass in the books. Right. Um, they kind of they kind of played that up to give her more. To give her more oomph. But I mean, I think he does have strong female characters in there. I think uh, he did like in his in his academic like his career as a student and also in his social life as a professor. Like, not a lot of women there. Sure. Um, and I think that's the number one people yeah. say is like, like he grew up around men. He went to the military. He was a part of a men's institution with learning. Like, it's not hard for him to only respond to men in a certain way. And even his wife would say, like, there's a part of him that does not open up to me. It only opens up when he's around his boys, mm-hmm. right? Like, so there was a part of him that was like, look, there's there's my love for Edith, but then there's my love for hanging out with the boys and writing stories. Yeah. And I think that's what came through in the stories. Yeah. And that's not his fault. Like, that's not a moral failing on on his part. Like, that's kind of just where he was living, what he was doing in in the 1900s, the early 1900s. Like, so, yeah, 
you don't fault fault him at all i'm not gonna fault him for that like i sure would it be cool to have more girl characters in lord (laughs) of the rings yeah but like not in a forced upon the story way like so we when they when they redo Lord of the Rings, you don't want them to recast Aragorn no. as a woman. For God's sake, do not recast Aragorn. I think you can only have <laughs> only uh, Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, can only Viggo Mortensen. Even <laughs> as an older man, he yeah. can only. He will still be hotter than anyone else they could cast yeah. as Aragorn. <laughs> but yeah, I don't need like a gender swap for Frodo or anything in the next version of the Lord of the Rings. Well, they like, can't gender swap Frodo because they won't. I mean, they could gender swap Frodo and Sam and still have. The gay oh, the- relationship that everyone wants. <laughs> Does everyone want it? Everybody wants it. I just want people to be platonic friends. In I their- mean, I agree. I believe that you can be <laughs> legitimate friends without there being... Every movie nowadays is like, if you show any interest in a person as a friend, automatically you're shipped together. <laughs> it's like, dude, come on. You guys understand that like, sex doesn't have to be a part of every relationship. Well, that's what you would say, Tyler. <laughs> I know, good old conservative Ty Ty the Bible guy, <laughs> who earlier was complaining about Christians. You're just like, yeah, you're you're throwing all the groups under the bus yeah. here. All right, yeah. Hannah, let's go into our outro. outro. We need outro music. Where's producer Cam when you need him? I don't know. Um... Our next episode. What are we talking about in our next episode? Are, you're making me do this because you can't pronounce anything, aren't you? That is 100% true. <laughs> I'm very bad at pronouncing names. And if it's slightly not fully American, I'm going to mess it up. Do it. Do I'm it. not going to. Can I like look up a video? And no, you have to say it. People love these movies, so they're going to like roast me. Uh, I'm just going to go, Hayao my, my, Miyazaki. <laughs> Hayao Miyazaki. Yeah, man. I'm so excited. Uh, Studio Jubilee. Ghibli? Yeah, Ghibli. See, I can't even get a studio right. (laughs) Jubilee. I'm so excited for this one, man. We're going to just watch movies for the next one. It's going to be great. I am excited for this, too. Um, Have you watched any of his stuff? uh, I feel like in college I watched Spirited Away. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talon, my boyfriend, recently uh, made me watch. We didn't finish it. It was one where there. It was shockingly way more violent than I thought it was going to be. I can't remember what. Princess Mononoke. Yes. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, we're just like sitting down to watch because, it. Well, it's, I know minutes. what I know what mo- move it was. It's when he like shoots the dude's arms yes. off, right? Yeah. That's and like ten minutes in. I'm sitting there like, flat. what the hell just yeah. happened? I thought yeah. this was a kids' movie. First anime I ever watched as a child, and I watched that, and that moment I went. <gasps> Full on nar- nerdgasm at that moment. Ew. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about it. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm excited to talk about it, to learn more, and to finish watching Princess Mononoke. 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 Yeah. Princess yeah. Mononoke, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, there's so many others. We're gonna. I'm going to watch all of them. I'm going to watch every single movie. I'm going to make notes and I'm going to talk about them. Perfect. Um, <laughs> if you guys want to tell us your thoughts on either this episode or our upcoming episode and maybe like give us some little tidbits of maybe your experiences with our next author, um, send those letters to lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. 
If you have any stories you want to share with us, send them to lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. Save Hannah. for our sci-fi flash fiction. You have one month as of the airing of this episode. To one month. Get us your, I think, 500 to 700 words. 500 word? to 700 words. Sci-fi flash fiction. We're going to read it on our show. Hannah's going to get people to come in and read it. <laughs> it's going to sound awesome. At least it better. I know, guys. I have a lot so how, to so to live up to um, after the Halloween special. So, get us your sci-fi stories. Sci-fi is a genre that I don't normally write in, so this is actually going to be a little bit of a challenge for yeah, me. Yeah, I've I've not yet even started on mine. I've been going through some ideas. I I've got my idea. Uh, we're going to see how it turns out. But we've had a couple great submissions already. Yeah. Um, at, uh, the most recent one I think was from Curtis Dieter who has contributed in the past yeah. so you guys are his, in for a treat with that Halloween one his Halloween story was so good Yeah. so another right. good one coming up so yeah uh, please submit your stories by April 15th you can um, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com Lewis and Lovecraft um, but you just started a, a group right where yeah. our listeners can join the group it's going to go private so if you want to get in Get in now. I think it may have just gone private. Well, if you uh, want to get yeah, in, you send can still a request. Get um, yeah, so you can find it by going to like our normal Facebook page, or you can just search like between Lewis and Lovecraft podcast group. Yeah. Um, and the reason you do it as a group is like it's private. A so if you like feel more comfortable commenting and are interacting with us and other um, listeners, like we share memes now. Like yeah. it's just a fun place to be. Also, um, it makes it easier for you to get alerts. Like basically, yeah. if we post on our regular group, you'll never see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this will actually like put it on your news feed so uh, go join the group if you want to be more up to date on what we're working on you can find us on uh, the internet at lewisandlovecraft.com you can see new pictures of Hannah and I as well as other little things we've updated our website so you can see other authors that we've talked about click on that it'll take you right to our episode on that author so that's really cool and where we do the most amount of posts and activity is on Instagram at lewisandlovecraft we try to post every day of the week Week, although lately that's been lax because things are crazy, you guys. And uh, and you know we try to talk to people there. You can you can share stuff with us if you want. Um, yeah. And as always, we want to thank Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. Uh, you can find him at SoundCloud.com/slash Jake Basson. That's B as in boy, A S S E N. Make sure you subscribe. Is that listeners. your NPR voice? No, that was more of like an intense, scary guy voice. Oh, that's, I'm supposed to uh, make sure friend. you subscribe to our show so that you can catch up with, uh, or you get to see whenever we post stuff. You, we usually do everything, something every week, so you can see our deep dives as well as our correspondence shows. And rate and review us on iTunes or any other platform that lets you rate us and uh, review us. Write yes. something nice about us like so other on people Pod listen. Chaser is a good place or iTunes. Also, uh, fucking you- Patreon. Yeah. We're going to talk about Patreon. We've got two patrons. They are Gage Runkle and Devani Anjali. Did I get it right? I hope so. I hope so, too. I'm going to get a text from her later if I didn't. Blame Tyler, Devani. Hey, Devani. Hey, Devani. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you thank for you, still being you guys, a patron. Seriously, thank you so much. You have already... Uh, our patrons have already helped us alleviate some of the costs 
that are required in producing a podcast every month, which means we get to see some money back in our pocket, which is always a good thing. Um, if you want to support us so that we can start doing other things like merch stores and you know uh, live events and things that we can start putting money towards, then please support us at Patreon, patreon.com slash Lewis and Lovecraft. And if you become a patron, also feel free to give us suggestions for additional content you yeah, want to hear. That. We want to make stuff that you want to hear. Um, finally, Hannah. <laughs> What's the best thing that people can do? Um, you know, just sit in a room alone and talk about how much they like our podcast. Yeah, just by themselves. By themselves. Talk out loud. No, no. Yeah. The best thing you can do is tell another human. A One friend. other human being, alive human being specifically. If you know any ghosts, tell them to listen to our show oh, too. Because that would be sick. We get a ghost listener. We would literally have a ghoul gang then. <gasps> I want a ghoul gang so bad. Help us grow our ghoul gang, ghoul gang. And go tell a friend. If one person listens to our show and comes to the Ghoul Gang Gospel, the Ghoul Gang Gospel, you will have you will have saved a Ghoul Gang spirit soul. I wish there was a G word for soul. Me too. Ghoul Gang Gollum. Nope. Nope. (laughs) So tell a friend, (laughs) and uh, we'll we'll see you in two more weeks for our next episode. Oh shit, I gotta think of something to do as, as the music fades out, or fades in, because we always do something, but I haven't I haven't watched it in so long. Just do a recap of that fight scene. In yeah, and, the, and he's like riding the elk, and he's just like going through the forest, and then the same rod is like, hey, go get him! Oh! And then I'm like going through with the And then he like pulls out an arrow and like shoots it so hard that the fucking arrow goes through the arms. The arm goes flying up and it sticks to a tree.